Hello, and welcome to the Written World Podcast. I'm Kylie. I'm Izzy, and today we're going to be talking about The Bonefire by Gregory Dragomon. This is a work, a novel translated from Hungarian, so this fulfills our translated work line on our 2022 reading challenge. Which is number 17, if anyone's looking at it. If you're following along with our 2022 reading challenge, let us know what you read for number 17, or any of them. Uh, yeah, okay, so The Bonefire is about Emma, who's an orphan girl who is basically navigates life with her mysterious new grandmother after she gets picked up from a place called the Institute, which is like um, basically like an educational facility for children without homes. And that sort of like catapults her journey into this sort of whimsical world uh, with this like everyday magic that her grandmother has as like a part of her life. It also deals with um, themes surrounding like post-communism and communism in Eastern Europe, as well as fascism and anti-Semitism circa World War II. This book is set in kind of generically in Eastern Europe. It doesn't specify a specific country or region, uh, but it's set fairly soon after a communist regime seems to have been toppled or extinguished. So what was your first impression here? Okay, so my first impression of the book was that the language is very imagistic. I loved that you could sort of like feel very immersed and um, like picture everything that was happening in the novel. Um, I re- that was one of the things that I really liked actually. But I my also first impressions were this book was not at all what I thought it was going to be. But we'll talk about that later. My first impression, I wrote it down pretty soon after or while I was reading this book even, and I'm glad I did because I wouldn't say this now if I were to be asked my first impression, but I wrote this read like something that could instantly become a treasured classic like Harry Potter or a series of unfortunate events or Percy Jackson. We'll come back to that idea later. Um, But I was also really interested in this bleak setting that we just talked about uh, when we introduced the book. And I, I stand by that. There, It is a very interesting setting. Um, I said uh, before we started recording that it was almost like Harry Potter at age 11 walked into the Deathly Hallows <laughs> and that like very bleak world. So do with that what you will. Okay, so what was it on your can't put it down, couldn't pick it up scale? Yeah, I said five. Um, So, like, right in the middle. There were some really compelling sections, but in general, it felt like so much was happening that I really needed to have a lot of mental energy to pick it up and read it. So, squarely in the middle. I feel that was very generous of you. I wrote down in my notes that I gave this a two and in parentheses put, that still feels very generous. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I say that because, like, while this this book had a very like alluring beautiful quality with sort of like this underlying turmoil in this very um, tumultuous society it was very dense and it was not plot heavy and it was long and we've talked about before how like reading quickly often revolves around plot for me at least so that sort of made it hard to pick up because there weren't a lot of like concrete things happening and while I thought that was really cool in simple terms this book kind of kicked my ass with trying to read it quickly (laughs) 
I think I I totally understand that, and I think also the fact that um, there weren't a lot of concrete things happening and timelines were kind of jumping around and the mystical was mixed in with the everyday really kind of made it hard to like jump back into it after like putting it down for a little bit even like a couple hours because you really had to go back and be like okay wait who's what's going on here if anything (laughs) I I found that like there was this interesting dichotomy between the fact that like every time I put it down and then picked it up a couple hours later that it was it was like okay what, what just happened like where are we but at the same time the characters felt so comfortable or at least especially the narrator emma i felt like okay like i could get back into her voice and sort of her way of seeing the world really easily i don't know what that says about me but <laughs> well that's kind of interesting too because of the way that the dialogue is structured in this book i don't know exactly how to explain it except that nothing's in quotation marks everything is filtered through the narrator emma emma says what every other character says and you kind of have to take her word for it whether it's word for word or whether she's filtering it through her did that did that make sense yeah you would explain that yes definitely um i think that like one of the really interesting things about emma is that like she's completely unreliable and yet we don't get any indication that we're going to ever get like the truth we do at times but like it's still filtered through her so it's it's very difficult to parcel out like what's real and i think that kind of adds to that like whimsy is that even her way of seeing things is still like filtered through that child lens yeah and like a child who spends a lot of time alone and a lot of time in her head mm-hmm. and also have, has gone through like some terrible things oh definitely and she lies a lot Mm-hmm. her grandmother usually catches her like all the time but the fact that she's lying to other characters and is conscious of it sort of like sets up this expectation that like she could be lying to us too yeah i like i liked emma as a character i thought i thought she was believable and genuine and i could like i could get behind her like i i felt her struggle and i also like recognized when she made mistakes and like when she was learning and all of that in terms of the other characters I don't even I don't even know what to say about the grandmother like (laughs) I just still have so many questions I think I feel like nothing was ever cleared up there but I but the other kids in this book so Emma you know she's still a normal kid she goes to school and um she tries to make friends and she likes boys and all of that but the other kids in this the other kids in this book are unbelievably cruel like i like maybe there probably are kids somewhere that are so mean like this but in this like little village in this generic unnamed country they were so mean they were so mean and brutal and cruel to her like i don't want to give anything away but they yeah they did terrible things even when she wasn't the new girl anymore so yeah, that yeah. was that. What did you think about the characters? Um, and that that was actually like one of the most interesting parts about the characters for me was this juxtaposition between this like very whimsical, like magical existence, but also like the blatant cruelty all the time. And it wasn't just coming from people in positions of power, it was coming from everyday individuals. Um, it was coming from children most of the time. And even from Emma, like Emma was often like cruel in the way that she interacted with other kids 
and I think that sort of points to the effects that the, the society that they live in has on all of these children. It it ages them in a way that doesn't quite fit who they who they who you expect a child to be at that age, but at the same time they don't really know how to cope with that kind of trauma, which I can't really say what kind of trauma it is because that sort of spoils the first part of the book. But yeah, um, I really liked the fact that those two things are sort of put together always because I think fundamentally that this this story, especially in the political lens, plays around a lot with sides and how sides don't necessarily indicate goodness or badness, but just that there's like general cruelty and humanity all around, even in the ways that people love other people. So that was really interesting yeah and i think there was something about the cruelness of the children that like it felt so obvious that the ideas that they were fighting for had been like passed down and impressed upon them by their parents or their guardians or you know whoever was older than them and you know making any kind of an impression on them like it felt like they were fighting someone else's battles definitely um, the, these kids definitely were like throwing around a lot of ideas that they clearly hadn't developed on their own. Yeah, and they probably couldn't fully understand because at the beginning of this book, how old is Emma? She's 13, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't understand this stuff at 13. Maybe maybe it's different. I mean, they, they've been through some stuff, but, you know, there's no way you have a full, fully developed concept of, of ideas this big about people at that age. And, like, I'm starting to think that perhaps that's why the reader never gets any, like, completed ideas or any, like, closure on anything. Because these, this kid, who is the narrator, doesn't really completely understand things. As much as, like, she's very intelligent and gives a lot of good insight into things, like, perhaps there is no answer, which is the point. Yeah, like, she just doesn't, she can't have the full picture, and neither can the reader. Yeah. So we kind of talked about some of this, but is there anything else that you particularly liked? The characterization and the imagery was the big thing for me. So what about you? Again, I really liked the setting and the atmosphere. I thought it was really like potent, this very bleak, um, cold kind of distinct place and time. Um, And also the idea of three generations of tragedy that this book sort of encompasses was really interesting to me. I don't know that it was necessarily pulled off, but I liked the idea. (laughs) So then I guess the flip side of that is like what bothered me is that I think there were probably some things that just didn't translate so smoothly and, and it's already such a complex story that that maybe led to some things being confusing or muddled. Or maybe that's just how it is. I don't know. I don't speak Hungarian. But there were also a lot of elements that I felt like in this book didn't really go anywhere, which is kind of interesting. Like, ah, keep them guessing instead of like super obvious foreshadowing. But as a reader trying to keep track of all these different storylines, I really was looking for some more, um, a better uh, idea of which storylines to hold on to. And because I, I kept, I listened to it as an audiobook. What else is new? I kept rewinding. And then sometimes I found that the things that I listened to like four times didn't actually go anywhere and like it didn't actually matter. So I was just a little bit clear on what was important and what wasn't. 
Yeah. What are you, What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um. I just remembered while you were speaking, there was one other thing that I did really like, which was sort of the doubling in the characters between the grandmother and Emma. Um. Which the grandmother's name is also Emma, which I thought was really cool. Um. Because it's very subtle. Anyway. Um. But I liked that there was sort of this like mother maiden crone archetype that was like cycling through Emma, Emma's mother, and then Emma's grandmother. But then you only really get the the side of like the maiden and the crone together because the mother's gone so i thought that that was that that like i'm gonna say it again juxtaposition between those two characters i thought was really interesting um as for things that i didn't like um i talked about sort of the fact that the plot didn't really go anywhere um the fact that there wasn't really distinct plot points say from like at the beginning and the end of the novel kind of um, irritated me a little bit just because I think that there was a lot of underlying tension in the work that was built up especially with all these storylines and the fact that a lot of them didn't go anywhere just sort of made that tension feel not even unresolved just there was no fruition um so there was that I also think that the format of this very like whimsical and political commentary sort of thing I feel like it lends itself to more a novella or a shorter novel format I think that this book was long in ways that it didn't necessarily have to be. And I think that that sort of muddled the reader maybe more than necessary. But also, I'm not the author. And I think the author (laughs) did do a good job with what what he seemed like he intended to. So, like, that's cool. Um, another thing I wasn't really a big fan of was sort of the, the coming of age narrative that underlied more of the la- the latter half of the narrative. I just, I wasn't super into like reading about a 13 year old girl discovering her body and then all of the adults around her and other children also discovering her body. So that was a little uncomfy at times. Not that there was like blatant like horrible things or anything in the novel that surrounded sort of her sexuality but it felt a little expository and not really like it was accomplishing very much also oftentimes I felt like the work was very gendered and sort of like that dynamic between male and female which is still common in a lot of like in a lot of books anyway but that the sort of like the impossibility for queerness the fact that like oh you must be in love with a boy like this is you know like you're in a room like with other women but like you guys are all thinking about being with boys and whatever it's just i'm over it (laughs) (laughs) i'm over it so i think muddled is a good overarching word for some elements of this book who would you recommend this book to if anyone I think um, anyone who's sort of interested in the ways in which fantasy and political commentary or sociological commentary intersect, something that I completely love. So definitely if you're into that sort of very niche, but not very niche, it happens a lot, Um, intersection. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, Also, if you're into like folklore tying into a more contemporary story, you'll probably find this interesting. Yeah, again, if you're interested in the way, in, like, political fiction, that sort of thing. Also, coming back to this, 
if you are up for like a much more dense version of something with a series of unfortunate events vibe, I feel like this is, this has that. Maybe it's just been too long since I've read. It's like, it's like darker and denser, but is there something in there that connects those two things for me? And you said this was not what you expected, so... No. What What did you expect? Ooh. I actually, like, did expect it to be more, like... I'm not entirely sure how to phrase this, but, like, I expected it to be a bit more dark and heavy on the whimsical end, to get more into the fantasy, to get more into sort of, like, those folkloric archetypes in maybe a way that was more visible. Yeah, I, I was a little disappointed with how every day the narrative became at some point with her going to school and like baking I think the bake like the cooking with her grandmother honestly was such a like lovely and interesting part that I would love to like oh I thought you were gonna say you didn't like it okay no 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 no. like that that part was one of my favorites um just because the way that folklore and food and intersects with like culture and with family I thought that was really interesting so like more moments like that would have been really cool yeah i just i I was craving sort of like this more fantasy slash whimsical sort of thing and i i wanted to be bothered and then know why i was bothered and like get you know get to the meat of things and i feel like that didn't happen Mm -hmm. so it did kind of like float on the surface yeah it was there but it wasn't as there as i like wanted it to be i wrote (laughs) I wrote, actually, yeah. Um, so I think it was more, when when it was like contemporary coming of age YA-ish, it was more that than I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it, it had the vibe I was expecting. It wasn't easy to read, but I didn't really expect it to be, especially seeing how long it was. Um, but yeah, uh, it, was, it was on track. It was on track. Okay, so we sort of talked about this already, but what do you think is at the core of this story? There's so many different elements, but I feel like it does revolve around the aftermath of tragedy in several generations. And, like, how how the generations, like, interplay with each other. Like, how the grandmother's experiences are affecting Emma and how the children at school are affected by the experiences of their parents and how it's kind of perpetuating this prejudice and conflict and violence yeah i think one of the huge themes in this novel is that cruelty begets cruelty and it's sort of just like this cycle of violence like that goes on and on and on yeah yeah (laughs) and all right so that was our translated piece yeah we did it Shall we go into our personalized book recommendation? Heck yes. Okay, so this is from Lauren, who's one of our listeners, so shout out to Lauren. Hi, Lauren. (laughs) Okay, so she said, I could go for a good mystery, but not like a tame, quote, oh no, my wedding ring was stolen by my ex-husband, end quote. More like a twist and turns and gruesome deaths and strong friendships created and broken type beat. Usually there's a love interest side plot, but I don't really have a preference as far as that goes. What you got? All right. I have two, I think. My first one um, is How Lucky by Will Liked. 
narrated by oh that's because i read it as an audiobook <laughs> well but it's graham halstead if you're interested it was very well uh narrated so um Stephen King himself reviewed this saying, a fantastic novel. You're going to like this a lot. So, Lauren, Stephen King has cast his vote for this one. So I'm just going to read the summary because okay, I read this okay. a while ago. Okay, so this is How Lucky. Um, Daniel leads a rich life in the university town of Athens, Georgia. He's got a couple close friends, a steady paycheck working for a regional airline, and of course, for a few glorious days each fall, college football tailgates. He considers himself to be a mostly lucky guy, despite the fact that he's suffered from a debilitating disease since he was a small child, one that has left him unable to speak or to move without a wheelchair. Largely confined to his home, Daniel spends the hours he's not online communicating with irate air travelers observing his neighborhood from his front porch. That's worded weirdly. When he's not working for the airline on his computer, he's sitting on his front porch and watching people. And there's a young woman who passes by pretty much every day. So seeing her as part of his routine until the day he's almost sure he sees her being kidnapped. Commence a spiral of events involving his best friends, the police, um, people not believing him, and a pretty satisfying mystery. So that's that one. Would recommend. Very compelling. Couldn't put it down. Um, okay, so my first one was Plain Bad Heroines by Emily M. Danforth. And I think I'm just going to read the summary because I read this like a year ago and it's kind of complicated, but I really did like it a lot. So the summary's kind of long, so bear with me. Our story begins in 1902 at the Brookhens School for Girls. Flo and Clara, two impressionable students, are obsessed with each other and with a daring young writer named Mary McLean, the author of a scandalous best-selling memoir. To show their devotion to Mary, the girls establish their own private club and call it the Plain Bad Heroine Society. They meet in secret in a nearby apple orchard, the setting of their wildest happinesses, and ultimately of their macabre deaths. This is where their bodies are later to dis later discovered with a copy of Mary's books played beside them, the victims of a swarm of stinging, angry yellow jackets. Less than five years later, the Brookhand School for Girls closes its doors forever, but not before three more people mysteriously die on the property, each in a most troubling way. Over a century later, the now abandoned and crumbling Brookhands is back in the news when wonderkind writer Merritt Emmett Merritt Emons publishes a breakout book celebrating the queer feminist history surrounding the haunted and cursed Gilded Age institution. Her best-selling book inspires a controversial horror film adaptation starring celebrity actor and lesbian it girl Harper Harper playing the ill-fated heroine Flo opposite B-list actress and former child star Audrey Wells as Clara. But as Brookhands opens its gates once again and our three modern heroines arrive on set to begin filming, past and present become grimly entangled, or perhaps just grimly exploited, and soon it's impossible to tell where the curse leaves off and Hollywood begins. Ooh. That sounds really good. I really like this book. Okay, and then my other one is uh, When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole, and I'm going to read the synopsis for this one too. Uh, Sydney Green is Brooklyn born and raised, but her beloved neighborhood seems to change every time she blinks. 
Condos are spreading like weeds, for sale signs are popping up overnight, and the neighbors she's known all her life are disappearing. To hold on to her community's past and present, Sydney channels her frustration into a walking tour and finds an unlikely and unwanted assistant in one of the new arrivals to the block, her neighbor, Theo. But Sydney and Theo's deep dive into history quickly becomes a dizzying descent into paranoia and fear. Their neighbors may not have moved to the suburbs after all, and the push to revitalize the community may be more deadly than advertised. When does coincidence become conspiracy? Where do people go when gentrification pushes them out? Can Sydney and Theo trust each other or themselves long enough to find out before they too disappear? I really liked this one. I highly recommend. Very nice. Sounds good. All right. I actually have two more. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Lucky Lauren. Yeah, it's going to be exciting for her. Um, This is a little predictable on my end, but it's fine. So my last two... Um, is it the house in the cerulean seat? No. Because <laughs> no. okay, that would be the ultimate nice. predictable. That would be the ultimate predictable. Um, okay, so <laughs> my first recommendation, even though it is not the best recommendation, it is my, sec- it is my third best out of the three that I have, but we're going to do it before I do the best one. So, the third best one is The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. It's it's queer. It's haunting. It's in a house on a hill. <laughs> that that was a joke. Anyway, um it's it's very like psychological. It plays around with unreliable narrator. It's it's very fun. Um I like really isolated thrillers, so it's a good time. Me too. Yeah. Um, and then this last one is also by Shirley Jackson, but this is my favorite, one of my favorite books ever, and it's called We Have Always Lived in the Castle. Um, and I went on Goodreads to find a summary, and it turns out that they don't have the summary, just the first couple lines of the book, which I think is almost better than a summary. So okay. <laughs> I'm going to read them. My name is Mary Catherine Blackwood. I'm 18 years old, and I live with my sister Constance. I've often thought with any luck that all I could be that all I could have been born a werewolf because the two middle fingers on both my hands are the same length and I've had to be content with what I had. I dislike washing myself and dogs and noise. I like my sister Constance and Richard Platanagent and Amina Fallodies and Deathcap Mushroom. Everyone else in my family is dead. So <laughs> Yeah, that you were right. You were right. Yeah. <laughs> this okay. This novel is so haunting and chilling, and you you sit through the whole thing just feeling anxious, but in the best way. I could not put it down, and that's really hard for me to say about a book, so I loved it so much. Good stuff. Shirley okay. Jackson, y'all. Check her out. Also, listen to our episode on The Haunting of Hill House. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless promo. We can promo all we want on our own podcast. It's true. So what are you reading right now? funny you should say that because i'm <laughs> technically not reading anything <laughs> wow no that's fair <laughs> i'm actually in the this middle this was a long book it was this was indeed a long book so i've been reading this um and then i'm in the middle of doing a freelancing job right now which is beta reading so i'm reading that nice yeah um i can tell you what i'm about to start sure um, I was going to read next after my beta reading job, The Last Wish, which is the first book in the Witcher series. I did go on a very long and extensive hunt to find these books. Why are they so hard to find? 
the second season of the series on Netflix came out, and these books are in pretty limited print. Maybe um, that's why I thought, yep, okay. Yeah, so um, everyone was buying them up when the second season came out, just like me. <laughs> gotcha. Should have bought them when the first season came out, but it's okay. Speaking of Netflix, I am reading The Maid, or Maid, by Stephanie Land. And mm-hmm. that has a whole Netflix series based on it, which I absolutely love. Definitely watched the series. I, de- I definitely watched the series first. Um, and I absolutely loved it. It broke my heart. My mom said that she couldn't watch it because it made her too anxious. And I understand why, because it's, it's tough. Um, but I'm reading the book now and it's uh, a memoir. It's, it's real. It's real life. And it's about uh, this young woman who basically removes herself and her young daughter from a situation of domestic violence and is kind of flung into the domestic violence shelter, homeless shelter, government assistance nightmare hellhole that it is. And it's really raw and genuine and so frustrating and I can only speak to it to a certain extent, but like I think it does a good job of sort of exposing some of the many, many, many holes in like homeless shelter systems and any kind of government assistance. And ah, you just, you root so hard for the characters. Um, So yeah, reading that, enjoying that. That sounds amazing. I might have to check that out. Would recommend. Yeah. And what are we reading for next time? So, next time we are reading a graphic novel, surprise, surprise, which is number... I'm looking for it, too. <laughs> number eight on our list. <laughs> um, and we are reading, the, in an also predictable fashion, <laughs> <laughs> The Low, Low Woods by Carmen Maria Machado. Um, I actually found out that she did a graphic novel slash comic, like, oh, two weeks ago. And when we set about to pick a book, I was like, as we are undeniable stands of her, we must read it. Yep. It's obligatory, but yep. we are excited. Mm-hmm. So tune in next time for that one. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. That will do it for today. Thank you for listening to the Written World podcast, and uh, we hope to see you next time. We won't see you. This is a podcast. You listen to us. It's a one-way transaction. (laughs) Anyway, we hope you listen again. Okay, bye. Farewell.